0: For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The Self Love Club where boss women
1: share their stories to empower others. Welcome to the Self Love Club podcast. I'm your host, Belle Crawford hello beautiful people thank you so much for joining me for another episode i'm so excited to share this one with you and we'll get into it very soon but first a couple of quick things if you're not already can you pretty please subscribe to the self-love club on whatever podcast app you like listening on you can also find us at Self Love Club Podcast on Instagram. Follow us for daily content. You get pep talks, your midweek PSA, Self Care Sunday, IGTV videos of interviews, and most of all, love being able to connect with you. Seeing where you're listening, you can tag us in your stories. You'll also find me at Belle Crawford on Instagram also a new feature you can subscribe to my newsletter at the bottom of bellcrawford.com I promise uh, I'm not turning into your auntie updating everyone in the family but in there you'll get heaps of inside scoops on who's coming to the podcast next uh, as well as book club and recommendations right let's get into it ash london is a powerhouse in australian radio hosting her own show ash london live nationwide on the hit network A true ray of sunshine, Ash is a busy and clever woman working on TV and hosts a podcast all about happiness. In this episode, we talk about quitting your dream job, moving overseas like a lot of us do in search of something more, and having what Ash refers to as an existential crisis. Also, something very relatable. Also, anxiety, mindfulness, paving the career and life you want. Honestly, the best chats You're going to love this one. We're so lucky to have Ash London on the Self Love Club podcast. Ash, welcome to the Self Love Club podcast. Thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate having a chat from your little at home studio
0: oh, yeah. I'm loving your sick like Beyonce jacket I know I'm wearing a Beyonce merchandise hoodie but you're wearing an actual Beyonce like faux fur jacket which is you know, heaven yeah it's
1: getting a little chilly over here and any excuse to wear the faux furs you know we'll get them out now and then. <laughs> snuggly you know everyone... it's chilly
0: where you are we just went for a swim
1: yeah really in the ocean oh that would be that yeah. would nice wouldn't it it's yeah I everyone's banging on about ISO fashion but you know this is the goods this is you just want to do you not dressing comfy at the moment I, mean, I always do anyway you probably
0: do as well oh my god my i'm just in permanent gym oh my god it's the best isn't it i haven't worn anything with a waistband in like months and i haven't worn proper shoes like anything with like leather or it's been like slippers or runners
1: yeah Oh, that's good. Yeah, I know.
0: We're going to keep this going. Tell us (laughs) about yourself and what you do. Well, I'm Ash and I work in radio in Sydney. I have a national night show on the Hit Network called Ash Sunday Live, which is a music show. And I have a podcast as well called Sunny Side Up, which is all about... Happy and positive stories out of Rona. Um, I live in Sydney by the beach with my husband and my dog. Um, my dog is my life and I am a pretty happy-go-lucky person. I love my life and I love being in my 30s. And life's never been better to be honest. I mean, life's never been weirder, but life's also never been better.
1: Yeah. I can kind of relate with that, you know, because how old are you now? 34
0: in July, which is so weird because I still feel like I'm 21, but 30s. I'm in
1: 30s. 30s are like, you, I think you get a bit scared about being 30. And I think that, I mean, everyone's different, but 30s can be better. I reckon they're better than your 20s.
0: I always tell people that. I'm always like, oh, you're worried about turning 30? No, your 20s are shit. (laughs) Your 30s are where it's at. Like your 20s are making mistakes and being broke and making bad financial decisions and dating idiots. And then your 30s are like, great. I've learned all my lessons. I've screwed up enough times to know how to live properly. Now I can put all of those things into practice and start to like build a good life.
1: Yeah. We'll go through all of those things soon and the things you've been doing, but take us back. Where did you grow up and growing up, did you know what you wanted to do?
0: I had a really um, interesting childhood because I lived in Melbourne in Australia until I was 10. And then we moved to Asia for like to the Philippines for six years. And then I came back to boarding school and then I moved to London and then I came back. Um, But I was always super creative and I always loved music. So I always knew that I was going to do something around like entertainment, the arts, um, that sort of thing. But I certainly never thought it would be radio because although I loved listening to the radio growing up, I always wanted to be in TV or in film. Mm. And then when I went to university at RMIT in Melbourne, I studied media and I skipped the radio units because I was like, boring, <laughs> not for me. Um, and then um, did my my degree, moved to London just for the adventure that all of us Aussies and Kiwis want to have yeah. in London after we graduate. Loved London, had an amazing time. That kind of solidified for me that, that I was a good communicator and that I wanted that I had the skills to do something special with my life. So I came home pretty much knowing that I wanted to work in the music industry, in media, music media, and I wouldn't accept anything less. So I just took like a copywriter job at a company that made music radio shows. And I wrote radio ads for like a year before I even got into the content side of the business. And then I started doing artist interviews. And from there, it just kind of grew and grew until, yeah, I hosted a music television show, then did a music radio show and did both and then quit TV just to focus on radio and now I do radio full-time and yeah. podcasts and it's so hilarious to me that if you told me at 22 you'll quit your TV gig to focus on radio, I would have been like, <laughs> as if, but how, it makes perfect sense.
1: How do you sort of get those ends? I mean, obviously you started working in the industry, you must have had a few mm-hmm. connections or something, but how did you get your first job in TV?
0: It was actually a competition. So um, I had been doing like... Artist interviews off air, so I was not famous by any means. I would record the interview and then they would be slotted into someone else's radio show. So I knew that I was really good at interviews. So I knew that was like something I had. It was whether I had any talent on on camera. So when I saw the ad for the TV gig the competition, I was like, I know I could do this, and I just had this feeling it was my job. I just can't explain it. I just knew it was mine from the second I saw the call out. So I, I did an audition and I got the gig. But it's weird, like I'd already started planning my move to Sydney. I just knew it was my job. And I think in big part, it was due to the fact that, for the, you know, three years leading up to that, I'd been doing so many of those artist interviews and getting really comfortable around the artists and building those relationships. Um, at that point, all I had to learn was the presenting side of it, which I think is a lot easier to learn than the art of an interview. And I think that has kind of put me in that skill. My interviewing has kind of got me where I am today. I think that's kind of my thing.
1: Yeah. And so how did you move through from you're working for MTV and then you? when did you start doing your first radio on-air gigs?
0: It was about a year into the TV gig. Um, so it was a show called The Loop. And go back in time to the radio, to the company that I was uh, doing interviews for and, you know, the first gig. They made these radio shows and I would write for them and do the, you know, produce. You seeing in the interviews, and then the actual person would get subbed in. Then it got to the point where I, you know, had a TV show and I was building a name for myself. So the company that had originally employed me to write the shows was like, "Well, do you want to host it now?" And I said, "Okay." So I started hosting Take Forty, which is like the was RIP the weekly Australian Top Forty chart show. So I started co-hosting that with a guy called Angus O'Loughlin once a week who also hosted the night show and we got along really well and he wanted a co-host because it can be lonely doing a three-hour radio show at night by himself. So they offered me the job co-hosting with him. So that's kind of how I made the transition. I started off with a weekly pre-recorded, fully scripted chart show. And within a couple of months, I was thrown into the deep end, live radio, live night, national radio. I had no idea what I was doing. I was so bad. I was so bad because I'd come from a TV presenting background, which is very much presenty-presenty. Mm. And radio, as you know, is not like that. They don't want people to sound like this. So next up on Shazam Top 20, I'm going to be playing the new Justin. People will be like, what a dickhead. <laughs> so it actually took me a lot of work yeah. to like untrain myself. <laughs> I'm okay with live radio. When it's live, I tend to be super relaxed, especially with callers. But as soon as I have to pre-record something, it's so hard still, right. like all these years, hard yeah. to not switch into that. So when, thing.
1: when did you start finding your rhythm? Because obviously you were naturally talented at it and it's just time. And I think with radio it is like they just throw you in the deep end and you just got to yeah. swim, don't you, really?
0: <laughs> yeah. And it took me two years, I think, honestly. And it took me leaving in the meantime. Like I, after a little while, I was like, "No, nah, not for me. This is a bit much. And so I just left radio altogether for nearly a year and just travelled and got a bit of a life because I was so aware of the fact that if you stay in that radio bubble for too long... You don't actually have a life and then you've got nothing to draw from. So when you are on air, you're boring because all you've done is work and Mm. it's not relatable. So it wasn't really until I left and came back and had my own show that I could do on my own terms that I really found my flow and my rhythm and started to trust that I knew what I was doing and I think that's very much like such a woman thing. Like we never think that we are doing it right and we always think that everyone else knows better. Mm. And then I kind of got to a point and I think thirty um, had a lot to do with that where I was like, no, I'm really good at this. And I may not sound like other people, but that, this is my unique brand of radio and I trust that it's what people like. But it, it really took a while. And when I left, I thought I would never come back. I was mm. like, nah, tried radio, liked it for a while. I'm going to go write a novel. <laughs>
1: <laughs> take us through, we'll go through that soon, but take us through the time when you left. You know, you just thought, oh, this is not for me. What did your bosses say about that? Did they just, were they just like, okay, cool, is, And then talk us, I guess, after that, talk us through, because I know when you came back, there was a bit of a story behind that and you were, you know, essentially told you could do what you wanted to do.
0: Mm. So I left because. Whatever within me just knew it wasn't right. It wasn't the right show for me. At many levels, I just didn't feel like I could. I was authentic, so I left. My bosses were like, "You do you." There's, yeah, you know, the doors always open. We love you, but you don't give up on a national on air gig. My manager was like, "What are you doing? This is money. You're not gonna have any money." Everyone pretty much was like, "You're crazy," and I knew that because I knew that I had an amazing job, but I also knew that so many women. Slogging their guts out in like small regional markets, hoping to one day do the job I was doing. How dare I keep doing it if I didn't appreciate it? You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So everyone thought I was crazy, but no one was really surprised, I don't think, because that's me. And I left, literally just ran away. And I went traveling, went to Asia, went to the Philippines for a while. I ended up in London, tried to get a job in London, couldn't get a visa, ran out of money, thought I'd made the wrong decision, started to have an existential crisis, Mm. thought I'd stuffed everything up forever. And then, um, yeah, I got the call to come home from Gemma, who is a boss of my network. And I was like, nah. And then eventually, I was like, "Oh God, I have no money left. Maybe I should just go home, (laughs) so I have somewhere to live." And um, yeah, I was put it. I had this amazing situation where she said, "Look, um, night radio doesn't have to be what you thought it was. Maybe it could be whatever you want it to be." Um, so tell us what you want. And I did. And then Ash London Live was born. That's and I um, so cool. met my husband two, three weeks later. So I think it was all meant to be. I was meant to come back. Yeah. I think you're
1: right. What you said before about, you know, I think for anyone in radio, but as a lot of the time women in radio, we don't think, I don't know. I just think it's a tricky one. It's I've always found it hard to put into words and I don't really speak about it much, but it's like, you don't think, especially when you're young in the industry, you don't think you can tell these people how you feel or totally you, you just wanna also it's one of those industries that you just shut up and get on with it. Um because like yeah,
0: you're lucky to have a job. Yeah so you're lucky to have a job
1: you work you work like ridiculous hours because well, you love it but that's just what you gotta do, especially mm-hmm. when you're hustling. Um and so you never really feel like you can back yourself.
0: If you don't back yourself, if you think you're shit and you're no good and you you know like can't get any better and this is it. Well no one's going to convince you otherwise. It's no one else's job to sit you down and say, Ash, you are great. You can do whatever you want. believing That's not my boss's job. Mm. That's my job. So I take that really seriously. And, you know, I do the hard work to work on myself and figure out where I need to improve so that I know if someone tells me something I know isn't true about myself, well, I can reject that. Mm. And I think men have done it for decades you know, it's okay for guys to do it. So why isn't it okay for us to do it? Yeah, And so we we'll ourselves and I totally reject that notion that we're lucky to have a job. No, we earned the right to have this job. We're here because we worked hard and it could have gone to someone else but it came to me because I'm good at what I do mm. and I think we need to get used to having that attitude and being comfortable with having that attitude and the more we have that attitude, the more it becomes the norm and it can be uncomfortable and hard and Certainly, I've been faced with that situation many times where I've second-guessed myself and gone, God, am I pushing too hard? But generally, if you push, you know, people get on board with it. Mm. You don't have to be a bitch about it. Whether you're a guy or a girl, you can do it kindly. And I would like to think I always do it kindly. You have to expect the best from yourself and Mm. expect the best from other people. But if you're rocking up to work every day and doing work that you're proud of and you know, and you're seeking feedback and you're getting better where you need to get. But no, I'm not not saying like go in and pretend you're top shit and don't take feedback from anybody. I'm saying, yeah, yeah, I'm saying take all the feedback, Mm -hmm. keep growing, keep getting better, but then own that. If something's happening that you don't feel comfortable with or you're being made to feel like this is just how it is, shut up. Well, no. You know, I love I love putting my hand up now and going, I think this needs to be different because, you know, people know I'm not an idiot. I've done two people well. I do hard work mm. and I just want it to be better for everybody.
1: Yeah, you're so right. And so talk us through that moment when you started, you created Ash London Live and it was, it was a lot different to what was being done in Australian mm-hmm. radio, especially at nighttime. There weren't shows that were music-based like that.
0: Totally. There still aren't. You know, night radio, especially in Australia, has been really kind of like push the boundaries, you know, salacious, gossipy. And that is just so the opposite of me. Like I never played games with artists. I never embarrass anyone. I would never make callers, embarrass them. It's just, it's not my personality. Mm. I'm not saying it's bad radio. That makes for great radio for people that can pull it off authentically, which I absolutely cannot. I'm just, I hate it. I get so uncomfortable. I can't handle anyone I would never be able to put someone on the spot to get a headline. It's just not me. I'm good on people that can do that because they're the ones that will make all the money and you know, more power to them. But it's just not authentic for me. It's why I can't do breakfast radio. It's just not for me. But I'm so... But I knew that people love music and I knew that it's still entertaining to, you know, um, explore that and explore that passion and give great context to music and bring artists in and... I knew that I would be able to create great relationships over time because I would have artists trust, you know. And now I think it took a couple of years, but now I'm at the point where, you know, artists will open up about their personal lives with me, not because I've tricked them, but because they trust me and they know that I'm not an idiot and I'll never catch them out and I'll never be out to get them. And I'm really proud of those relationships that I have now with those artists. You know, I don't take advantage of them. I don't, you know, hit them up for favors or... It's just a music show and I love music and, you know, I could never do anything else. I don't think every time I try and fill in on any other show, I'm like, I just want to go back to my music show.
1: (laughs) Have you had any moments, and I I always don't like it when people ask you, you know, who's your favorite person you've interviewed? But like, have there been any moments where you have got to interview people that you've been like, you know, you really are a big fan of someone? Yeah,
0: because I've been doing for so long, I realized pretty early on in the piece that artists and normal people yeah so I got over the fame thing really quickly because for the most part they're just as self-conscious as us if not more mm. because they're on a world stage sometimes you see the worst in them and you realize they're not nice people that's very rare but it does happen I think from a musical perspective I I truly love certain artists music so it's a real buzz to meet them but there have been moments of like ridiculousness like you know last year I flew to Paris for two days to interview Taylor Swift And you have those moments where you're like, what the hell? Like, this is ridiculous. Like, this is not real life. Like, I'm walking down the Champs-Élysées about to go and be the only person in the world to interview Taylor Swift today. Like, this is not real. And, you know, like, I've interviewed, interviewed her multiple times and she's incredible and got this amazing aura about her of just, she's just a cool chick and you sit down with her and... A second after you start talking, you forget that she's Taylor Swift because she's so cool. And generally the good ones are like that, like Mm. Ed Sheeran. There's no superiority or like he's just Ed Sheeran. I really do believe that we're all equal. Yeah. And we both need each other to do our jobs, like superstars and can't sell music without anyone knowing who they are. And we can't have radio shows without access to these musicians. So it's just kind of like we're all doing our bit to get by. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. but yeah, I, There have definitely been moments I've been like, Whoa, my, well, my life is weird.
1: Yeah, you're so right though. With I think you do learn that when you get into radio and you're interviewing a lot of people, that if you are able to just be normal with them and chill and you do get used to doing that, they actually give you, that you get so much more. They relax, more. And they chill,
0: and they trust you. And Kiwis and Aussies are so good at it. It's the feedback I always get that they love coming to us because we don't suck up to them. <laughs> we don't treat them like royalty. We're just like, how are you going and they love that so I think you know we 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 all have that kind of same attitude and it definitely works in our favor mm. like for me it's music and joy they're my two like the backbones of my life and is music and joy and um, for me music is joy and you know in many ways joy is music so I'll do it on my show if it goes through that filter of music passion and joy and if it doesn't I'm not going to bother so it's been re- it has been was good for me early on to have that filter and everything has to go through it. And if we can't fit it in that filter, we don't do it. And then, yeah, I was flying weekly at one point, you know, splitting my time between Melbourne and Sydney and then doing LA generally three or four times a year and then some Asia ones and some Europe's. And I'm not a good flyer, so I have to medicate to get on a plane. Aww.
1: Have you gotten a bit bigger? yeah what, what are you afraid of? Is it obviously flying? i but- just having a
0: panic attack on a plane. I just hate it. But I've never let it stop me from, I'll just do it. You know, like I can force myself onto the plane. Um, But I was, that's one of the good things about Corona. I was like, ah, I can stay home for a while. So usually, you know, my husband and I uh, have to have a calendar that we share and who's going to be where, when, and when we see each other. And it has been such a joy for me to just be home. Yeah. And, um, you know, I'm still doing three or four interviews a day. Like yesterday, I had Five Sauce, Niall Horan, Haim, and Maddie Healy from the 1975 from this room. And the audio sounds great and the radio show sounds great and I didn't have to go anywhere. So I think in many ways now a lot of companies are going to be like, oh, we don't have to send these people overseas. Yeah, We can save our money. Yeah. So, um, that's good for me.
1: Yeah, in some ways, and that's the thing, like this has been a horrible time for a lot of people and it's, you know, not a nice time for the world and some terrible situations, people, you know, losing their jobs and it's horrible, people really sick. Mm. But there is, like you say, we're getting to. I think it, in some ways, lockdown had some good parts. I, I'm, I'm everything's yeah, no, like, okay. You know, to know what say. I mean? Like it, it was it totally. Was, I felt a relief. It was like, oh, because a lot of us are homebodies and we're a little bit introverted yeah. in a lot of ways, and so I feel like everything's too crazy sometimes. There's too much going on.
0: Mm. Everyone's we expect too much of ourselves, and yeah. other people. We cram too much in our days. We don't sit quietly enough. We don't spend enough time in home, at home. We don't sleep enough. This has been incredibly healing for me this period. And I know it's weird to say, but having time at home to feel safe, having time with my dog, sleeping in the same bed as my husband every night, cooking together, like that's healing, magical stuff. And in many ways, this pandemic has been horrendous but there are positives that we can take yeah and I hope and pray that when it's over we do take them and we do learn to say no to things and we do you know appreciate quietness and mm. time at home I hope I hope we don't just all rush back to our normal stressful busy lives where we worship busyness but I know that it's definitely changed the way I will work from now on and live in a, bit, cool. in a good way and I know that that will be quite anxiety inducing for me when things go back to normal because you know my I have a lot of issues around getting sick it's my biggest fear in the world I started isolating early because I was like stuff this I'm going home I'm not getting the Rona. I'll sue you because we're in Sydney like my suburb was the biggest outbreak of coronavirus in the whole of Australia Mm. because it's full of anti-vaxxers and bloody you know um Bondi uh, backpackers. So we had like this full on breakout and I was like, stuff this, I'm staying home. My husband who works at the same place worked for an extra week. And every time he came home, I made him strip naked at the door. And then I would take his temperature. And as long as his temperature was like under, you know, the allowed he could come in and I would give him a kiss.
1: Oh my God. That's kind Yeah. Straight in
0: the shower. Like, and then like yeah, wash, that was me. wash
1: all the food. From, were you washing all your food from the supermarket? Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and all the deliveries, I was like burn the boxes. <laughs> yeah, I was full on about it. I'm a bit better A bit better now, but I was just like it, the anxiety got me bad. And then after like two weeks of us being home, it was this amazing peace because I was like I haven't touched another person. I'm not sick. Yeah. I don't have the Rona. And then yeah. from then on I was cool. <laughs>
1: Talk us through that, though. You say that you do have a lot of fear around, is it getting sick? Is that what you get most anxious about?
0: Yeah. A lot of, yeah, a lot of anxiety about getting sick and a lot of anxiety about just like getting anxious. I get anxious about getting anxious. I've had like a, you know, a couple of really, um you know, shitty episodes over the years and it's so funny that you can get panicked about getting panicked. That's why I don't like flying because I don't want to have a panic attack. Mm. So I start to get panicked about getting panicked. I know that planes are not gonna crash. I know that I'm not sick, but what if I what if I go crazy mm. and then I can't stop feeling crazy? So it's this, you know, so I meditate a lot. I, you know, I do all the things that I need to do in order for me to feel like it's gonna be okay. And I'm so I'm so much better than I was now. Early on, I know myself and I knew that if there was going to be a pandemic, I would need to be home early yeah. and I couldn't be going to work because it would just, I would go crazy and I was already going crazy. So I think I was like the first radio person in the whole country to go home. And my work, know me; they were like, okay, Lundo, off you go, mate. I was like, see ya. <laughs> when Whispers of It started, I was like getting Glenn 20 which is like a disinfectant yeah. spray, and I spraying down like
1: every It's in my bag. Phone. I spray. I even spray yeah. like everything with it when I come in here. Even the whole place. Yeah. yeah.
0: When everyone, because yeah. I I arrive at work when everyone's going home. Because <laughs> I do night radio. So I was like spraying down desks, yeah. Doors,
1: like door the boss handles. got
0: sick. I was spraying it.
1: Don't forget the light switches. Oh, door handles. I've been doing those as well. I've been the mum around here. You know, I've been cleaning. You know how your yeah. mum always gets out and cleans the cleans yeah, the handles and the light switches.
0: You, you know? know, radio people are feral.
1: <laughs> yeah, but so when did you start? having, I think it's so normal. Like we all experience, uh, I remember someone saying to me that anxiety is a normal human motion. People just experience it in different degrees sometimes. Did that start for you when you were a child? Do you remember?
0: Not at all. I was always so resilient and I put up with so much craziness in life and moved to London when I was young and went to boarding school and I was fine. It wasn't until I got married, which was like, like, I was 31. And I feel like maybe that's when I had something to lose. I felt like I wasn't the independent free spirit that could just go out and do whatever. Now I had someone that I loved and I didn't want to lose. So in a weird way, I feel like... I think it was always going to manifest, you know, like it's in my DNA, I think. But it wasn't until I stopped and started putting roots down maybe that I started to not want to go away anymore because I didn't want to be away from Adrian. Whereas I think Back to how fearless I was, you know, at 21, just going to London with no money and not knowing anyone and being fine.
1: And those anxious episodes, have they gotten quite bad? Like, do you have panic attacks and things? Like, what does that look like Yeah, I had one on a plane
0: halfway between Melbourne and Italy. We were sitting in the middle of the plane. So we were in business class, which I was very happy about, and I fell asleep. And then when I woke up, it was the middle of the night. It was dark and it was turbulence and I lost it. And it was like I couldn't get off the plane. I couldn't get out of my seat. I couldn't do anything, but I was like, I just wanted to take all my clothes off. Like I was just like, oh, this is bad. And I think that feeling of being so scared and out of control really kind of sparked it. I think that was the worst it's been. Definitely getting better. And I feel like it's been a mix of just, just doing all the good things. Seeing psychologists, medicating, meditating, being okay with anxiety, sitting with anxiety, not feeling like I have to change it or fix mm-hmm. it or knowing that it's okay, that it's not me. It's just, something that's visiting me. Yeah. Um. I have so many tools now and I feel like, you know, it's okay. It's okay to feel that way. You can just sit with it. You don't have to get angry about it.
1: Yeah. I think you're right though. What you said before, it's the fear of these things. And, you know, you're scared. I know when I was younger and you might have had the same, that you're scared of getting to that place again where you felt really crap and you're worried it's going to happen again. But then yeah. as you get older, you realize you you probably won't go back to that again. Like you've done that. Mm-hmm. And if you do, that's okay. Because you can get back from it. But I think that that can be a fear for a lot of people that you're going to get to that spot again and it was so horrible that you don't want to do it again.
0: Yeah. And the thing is, once you start thinking about that, you're there. Like, it's not real. Like, it's all thoughts and thoughts are all lies. Mm. Like, none of it's real. The only thing that's real is this moment right now. So by you thinking about something that may or may not ever happen, You're forcing your body to live through that over and over and over and over again, even though it's not even a reality, which is why I love mindfulness practice so much because it forces you to just be here. Don't be reliving a fight you had. Don't be imagining the panic attack that you may or may not have because both of those, neither of those things are real. Mm -hmm. Right now, how do I feel? Right now, am I panicking? No. Right now, am I on an airplane? No. Right now, how do I actually feel? okay, I'm in my body, I'm sitting here, I'm safe. You know, we waste so much time being scared about things that aren't even true. Mm. And that's me. I'm not preaching here saying be better. I'm saying I do this all the time and it's exhausting Mm. because the reality is you waste amazing moments in your life worrying about a false future, a lie. So taking control of those thoughts and, you know, being present is incredibly powerful and it has helped me so much. Thank God.
1: So when you are in those moments, do you tap into things like your mindfulness practices? Mm. Because when you're in that state, how do you get yourself through it and out of
0: it? I have so many ways. Music for me is a big one. I have a playlist of like seven or eight songs that are so familiar and soothing to me. Simple breathing exercises. It's nothing crazy. It's really just ways that I can tap into the present and not start to imagine panicking. Because once I start imagining panicking, I panic. Mm. Which is, it's a a self-fulfilling prophecy, like in the truest sense of the word.
1: What are some of your other go-to self-care practices. Self-care is so different for everyone, but what are some Mm. things that make you feel good that you like to do?
0: Whatever I feel like doing, I'm not the person that will stop myself from, unless it's like a dangerous, you know, habit. I'm really kind to myself. So I don't limit what I eat. I don't force myself to do things that are painful for me because I'm supposed to do them. So it might even come across as selfish sometimes, but I just, I know what I need in life to be happy and fulfilled and I do them. I get a lot of sleep. If I want to sleep in an extra hour, if I can do that without putting anyone else out, I'll do that. I'm not going to feel bad about it, you know. I'm getting really good at that I'm just being nice to myself. And if I want to Mm -hmm. eat something, just by myself eat it. And don't feel bad about it, you know. Um, I enjoy exercising. I don't exercise like a crazy person. If I can't do it for a week, that's okay. Um, I love to swim, I love to meditate, I love spending time with my husband, I love my dog and I fill my life with those things. You know, I'm so aware of the fact that we have one life only and life is just a series of days and happiness isn't gonna happen. In ten years' time, if you can't happiness is now and today. So, what can I do today to have a good day? We did this health retreat in Queenstown, actually, last year or maybe it was the year before. And um, one of the practices they taught was in the morning journaling about what will make today a good day. What's something that if this happens, it will be a good day. So, if you set that up from the start of the day, you manifest that to happen, and you do it because you know in your head. For me to have a good day, I need to do this. So you do it, and then you have a series of great days. And for me, that is that is self care. Me and my husband's always like, oh God, you get so many massages. I'm like, yeah, but I don't do drugs. <laughs> so I know that massages for me are like, you know, and you know, I'm in a great place where now my age, I can afford to get massages when I want them. And, you know, I'm very lucky. It's, it's, you know, it's a, what's the word? It's a tree. It's a luxury for a lot of people. And I lie there and I switch off. And for me, that is where I get my best ideas. And, you know, I come out of them always feeling so creatively inspired. So that's self-care for me. Mm. And cooking... Food, but for me, it's a lot of it is just not forcing too much into my day and yeah. allowing myself to feel and do nothing for now if I want to. And one day, hopefully, we'll have kids and that won't be a luxury I have. But for now, it is. And I will indulge in that whenever possible.
1: Talk us through because you said that when you got your uh, job, that you got to sort of have a bit more a say. You actually met your husband then. Everything was like, here you go, Ash, like oh, life's happening for you it's now. It's so weird. Yeah.
0: Honestly, I went from like broke. And like thought I'd stuffed up my life and single and like no job to job of my dreams, man of my dreams. What the hell? How did that even happen? Yeah, he walked into the room and I knew I was going to marry him straight away. Oh, that's Just so nice, magic. Yeah, it was, but it had to be like that for me because I'm um, I have such high expectations for my life that I think I thought I would never meet someone that I could love yeah fully as they were. Um, so it had to be like a lightning bolt, and it was totally a lightning bolt. And it sounds so lame, but even in all the ups and dan- downs of marriage, I still feel like I did that first moment. But it was always oh. going to be like that for me.
1: So goodness. how did it progress? Were you like, did you just be like, I'm going to marry now? You wouldn't say that, but pretty much. How'd...
0: No, it was very really? obvious for both of us straight away. And I texted oh. my best friends that night and said I met my husband, and we started dating a couple months later. And I moved to Melbourne. We bought a house, we got engaged all in a year. Wow. Um, Yeah, it was always. I'm glad I dated the idiots in my 20s so that I could learn what a good man really was and what a good husband really was and how important integrity and kindness. And he's really good with money and not extravagant. If I married someone like me, we would have no savings, but like so many Gucci loafers and so many massages.
1: You would look so chic and you'd be feeling so chill.
0: (laughs) I always tell him that. I'm like, if it wasn't for you. But instead I have safety and like financial security, which I was never taught growing up and is so important to have someone that can, you know, keep the books balanced and force me to pay superannuation which yeah. I never would do because I, like, I,
1: I think I heard you in an interview one time talking about when you meet him and he was like, what, what do you mean? You don't have any savings or like he was just appalled, None.
0: appalled. Like I had t- a $12,000 in superannuation. And I think I'm supposed to have like 10 times that by now, no savings, just no, nothing horrible credit rating. Cause I had just stuffed around for my twenties and quit my job, even though I had no money, like just done <laughs> dumb stuff. But we balance each other so well because I'm YOLO. And he's like, whoa, 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 let's think about this. So we are a really good balance for each other. You know, he, I'm the person that like plans fun, exciting adventures. And he's the person that like makes sure we can afford our life and we have savings. And it's an amazing balance. And now I have way more of an appreciation for things because he's taught me the value of money and really forced me to look at why I would spend. And a lot of the times I would just spend because it made me feel good. Not because I needed that thing, which is so so dangerous. Mm. So now I have a much better appreciation of stuff, and I have way less stuff, which is a nice feeling to yeah. look at my cupboard and go, "That is a normal amount of clothes, <laughs> and that, is, and I don't need anything else." My life is actually not going to be happier or more fulfilling if I buy more shit. Yeah, In fact, it's actually the end of the day probably going to make me feel worse.
1: Yeah. I think that's something we probably learnt during lockdown even though there has been a bit of online shopping going on for everyone I think. Um it happened. We yeah. realized everyone gets excited when a courier turns up um, but yeah, I think we have probably realized in that time that we don't actually need a lot like we've got everything we need really. No.
0: We need healthcare which we have in our countries. Yeah. And somewhere to live and food and we're fine. It has been an amazing reminder of what's important, but man, I'd love to go shopping again. I'd love to just have a cheeky shopping trip and try some clothes on because I have bought a couple of things online that I needed and they arrived and looked so bad. And I was like, that
1: I "Hate when that happens." You're like, "I had such, Ugh. I had such uh, high hopes for you, and you looked te- uh, looks like you know, it yes. looks terrible. It
0: looks great on them on their size eight, yeah. five foot six model on the website. <laughs> why doesn't it look that good on me? I can't imagine why." <laughs>
1: What have been some of the biggest challenges or lessons that you've learned?
0: I mean, the financial side of it, it sounds weird, but learning to use money properly actually has been a big challenge for me and um, really learning to respect money and save. And I know it sounds so boring, but... No one ever teaches us that. And for girls, it's like, especially I feel like we just think, oh, you know, well, one day when I get married, I'll sort out my finances, which is what happened with me, which I'm so embarrassed about. But I wish I had learned earlier how to set a budget because I really stuffed up my finances. By the time I was 31, I'd really stuffed it up. If I had one wish for the next generation of women, it would be to take learn about finances and take it seriously, more seriously earlier and set yourself up financially Mm. so that even if you don't have a partner, you still can buy a house and, you know, like have an understanding of investment. And because that was very uncomfortable for me meeting someone and having to face up to how bad I'd been with my money, you know, how little I had to show for the years of good earning I'd done. And that was very humbling for me to have to sit in front of you know an accountant and me and be like, "Okay, shit, I've earned all this money, and I've got nothing left and nothing to show for it."
1: I think that's incredibly oh, probably and incredibly common' so common, so common. yeah, exactly. it's so common. and I think also, I like what you said about you know teaching women. To maybe think about or learn about money because, again, it takes that belief away, which I feel like pretty gone these days, but still it might be there for some people, is that you mm. don't need a man. You don't need a boyfriend or a yeah. husband to do shit. It's like, you know, when I've traveled on my own or gone to see, you know, people overseas or gone with friends, you don't need a boyfriend. If you want to go to, like, I, I took myself to the mm. Greek islands. You don't need a boyfriend to go a there. Bat. You know, like... No way. So just do the cool shit you want to do and then when you meet yeah. them, you'll be able to do even more cool stuff. You know, that's what I exactly. think.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Because you won't have a $100,000 debt or $10,000 credit card debt that you're like, oh, hey, I wish I could go on an adventure with you, but I've been so bad with my money for 10 years that we can't do anything. Yeah. So I think everyone should take responsibility for their own personal finances as early as possible. Even if you don't have any money, learn to save now. Because it's not like when you magically earn heaps of money, you will start to change your habits. Trust me, you won't. You'll just be like, great, more to spend. So get in the habit of saving early. That was a huge challenge for me. Mm. And another challenge, learning to like face up to conflict and tough conversations. As a performer and a creative person, I want everyone to like me. And the more work on myself I did, the more I realized that I avoid confrontation because I don't want to upset people because I'd want them to like me and um, I read a lot of Brené Brown who is my girl she talks about the idea that clear is kind and unclear is unkind and avoiding hard truths and hard conversations because you think you're being nice actually isn't being nice it's actually being unkind so for me learning to give and take feedback tell people when I wasn't happy own up to upsetting people that's a tough conversation that you know we all want to avoid mm. but you have to do it and I'm still learning that I still naturally will avoid tough conversations because I want to keep the peace because I want people to like me but that's actually like really selfish clear is kind unclear is unkind that's such face a... up the tough conversation
1: yeah that's so good do you think you know traveling a lot and having you know situations like losing a parent did how, did it make you grow up a bit faster? I mean, you're always, you're, totally. you're definitely like a switched on person and you're good at what you do, but did it make you grow up a bit?
0: Yeah, absolutely. It made me kind of take responsibility for my life really early on. Like I was 16. I went, dad died and I pretty much just made the call. Cool. Am I going to let this define my life or am I going to be successful despite it? Am I going to be a victim or am I going to not be a victim? Cool. I'm not going to be a victim. I'm going to go on with life. I'm going to have a mm. great life. Yeah. And I like remember really like specifically making that decision. It also forces you to like realize what's important and you just refuse to get in bogged down by the dumb shit. And the traveling as well, it proved to me what I'm capable of. You know, and like I said before, I think back to how fearless I was and I'm like, man, what shivers. Um, and I'm so proud of myself and it really taught me how much I was capable of. It taught me to be resilient. And after dad died, mom sent me off to London when I was like 17. She's like, take some time off school. I had a cousin in London, go over and just hang out in London for a bit and, you know, wow. see the world. And when I arrived, I was like, shouldn't you be in school? Like immigration literally <laughs> made me prove that I had not run away. I called my mom, looked at my bank accounts, like do you have proof that your school knows you're here? And then like at the time... I was like hilarious but now I think back on it I'm like of course they would I was 17 I was still in school (laughs) and I was going to London on my own what the (laughs) but it was the best you know I had an awesome time and it's just another thing that proved that helped me grow up and become more resilient and know I was capable of anything and you know my mom is the best because she just was never a moment where she was like you can't do that or no she's like do everything do it all no excuses. Go for it.
1: Talk us through, like you've given us so much advice, but what is some advice you would give to your younger
0: self? Save your money. Take responsibility for your shit. Clean up after yourself. I was a mess, man. I was a mess. still I'm messy, but now I have someone being that I have to share a house with. Um, I think I was pretty irresponsible. I thought I could get away with anything because I was like fun to be around. My advice would be, yeah, like take responsibility for all your shit. I would also tell myself that I don't know anything. Like I thought I knew everything and then I'm realized, like the older you get, the more you realize you don't know and I'm relearning everything and I'm realizing how much I have to learn still, just, you know, learn from people more. God, I've graduated uni and I was like, I am the smartest person in the world. (laughs) And now I'm like 10 years later, like, I don't know shit. (laughs) So yeah, learn to learn and take responsibility for your shit.
1: Yeah, that's so good. And that's, uh, again, I was going to ask for some advice you would like to give to people listening. And a lot of that is in there, but is there anything else you would like to share to people listening that maybe want to do the cool things like you've done?
0: Yeah, just take responsibility for yourself. It's not up to anyone else to make your dreams come true. It's not up to anyone else to learn what they need to learn. You're not above anything. Don't think that you're going to like stroll on into the dream job. It took me 10 years. You need to work hard. You don't know anything. You have to keep learning. You need to keep working hard. Don't expect that everything's going to be instant. Like we live in this instant world where we feel like we can make a podcast and put it out and the next day we will be Joe Rogan. It's like, no, you need to learn. (laughs) There's so much learning to be done. So don't think you're above anything. Even if you make it, it can all be taken away from you at any time, at any point. So be willing to learn, be willing to work hard, be willing to be poor and always treat people well because this industry is too small for a-holes. And if you are an a-hole, people won't buy you anymore, even if you're really good at your job.
1: How have you, and you've obviously done very well and you're a resilient person, but how have you, you know, you really kept working, you slogged for 10 years before you got your job that you really wanted and it can be like that in these industries where you're right we do live in this world these days where everyone sees everyone's wins which is epic but then I think a lot of the time Mm. people think that these things happen like this but the the reality is that's not how it works like there's a lot of work I was
0: one at work for six extra hours to do a phone interview with someone that got cancelled five minutes before it was meant to happen and you just go cool and you put it down to experience. I always knew I'd get there and I really trusted my talent. You know, I knew that if I just kept working hard enough, it would happen for me and I was never going to give up. That was just not anything. And I just knew I had a real innate sense of this is what I meant to do and I will do it. I've just got to keep working hard. It was a tough slog though. And I, But I celebrated the wins along the way and I learned to kind of always strive and always look forward to the next thing, but still be content with what I had now and not resent my life. You can't resent the learning. You can't resent where you're at because that's not a life. That's bullshit, man. Like you. So I would celebrate the little wins and be proud of myself, but I always knew there was more for me and I just kept working hard. You never really are satisfied. You get the job and then you just choose a new dream,
1: yeah. which is
0: still true for me. So I'm still, you know, I feel like more so now I've kind of arrived. And a lot of people say, you never arrive, but in a way I feel like I have because, not because of my career, in part because of my career, but because I'm happy. I have a great life. I feel settled and that's enough sometimes, you know, if, if I'm going to, if this is going to mean that I'm happy every day and I'm grateful every day, then maybe that's enough. And
1: you're doing a really good job as well. I do love that you're doing this feature on the radio where you're doing mindfulness. Talk us through that. Tell us about right. that. That's so cool. Yeah, well done. This is an ad
0: break. Three mindful minutes, and it's pretty much just me talking about things like gratitude and kindness and breathing and hope. He'd be things we don't usually talk about on the radio. And it, we were all a bit nervous to do it because we're like, this is weird. <laughs> but the response has been incredible like tradies messaging me saying they pulled over their car and had a cry and Aww. felt better afterwards. it been amazing. And the big takeaway for me has been that people don't just want to be entertained and, you know, um, distracted we can help them and give them hope on the radio. There's no reason why we can't do that. It's just we haven't done it before. So it's been one of the greatest things I think I've ever done in my whole career. But it's been work because I take it seriously and you don't want to like, you know, do it in a sloppy way.
1: Yeah, (laughs) that's for sure. No, you're nailing it. And thank you so much for your time. Thank you for everything you're doing. Thank you. That was great. We're going to all get so much out of it. So thanks so much, Ash.
0: Thank you, matey. I hope that you continue to you know, interview more Spice Girls. I hope that you interview all five Spice Girls (laughs) by 2021. That's a great goal to have.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that would be cool. Thank you so much for listening to the Self Love Club Podcast. Please subscribe for weekly episodes and catch up on the backlog of eps you may have missed. Until the next episode, make sure you're following the Self Love Club at Self Love Club Podcast on Instagram for daily content, IGTV clips of interviews, and you can find me at Bell Crawford. Plus, find resources and articles on my website, Bellcrawford.com, with a new recommendations page with my book club, all of the good shows to watch, and also, you can actually listen to all of the podcast interviews ever on the Self Love Club on the podcast page. We've got heaps of incredible guests coming out with weekly episodes available each Monday. I'll catch you really soon. Ellie the most, Kay. Bye.
0: Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter.